Before I share the passage with you this morning, uh, we have an, a wonderful opportunity uh, that is before us. Uh, as some of you know that we had uh, an extra weekend we missed uh, due to snow, and so financially we kind of get behind a little bit. And so uh, we're asking folks to think to reconsider that if they're able to give or catch up in their giving to do that, but also we've had some generous donors that have come forward to encourage uh, new estimated givers or people who we just went through our stewardship campaign to possibly update their estimated giving. And so uh, through some anonymous donors, uh, they will match up to $15,000 of anyone who has never filled out uh, an estimated giving cards, which are in the pews and back by the ushers, or for anyone who wants to update their giving. So it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for us uh, to be able uh, to contribute in, in a, a time of need. Well, in our scripture text this morning, as I mentioned in our introduction, uh, we often think about Peter as someone who is the rock, the foundation of the church, the Petros that Jesus calls him. But instead, as we read about today, I want us to consider Peter, Simon Peter, in a different light. We read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, open our ears to hear your word. Open our minds so that we can understand. And open up our hearts to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever gone through your day, your work, your parenting, your responsibilities, and, and you just find yourself at your wit's end? I had a an experience like that this, this past week. Uh, last week, I traveled to California for a spiritual retreat with my 
a spiritual formation cohort associated with Fuller Seminary, and we've been meeting together for 18 months, and we've grown closer to God, and I was, and to one another, and we've um, really been looking forward to get together, and and I kind of felt a little bad, but kind of also felt a little good, because as the a thermometer was descending here in Syracuse to Arctic-like temperatures, I was looking forward to Southern California's thermometer uh, ascending to 75 degrees and sunny. So I was feeling pretty upbeat. And on top of that, all my, my flights were on time. It was amazing throughout, throughout the trip. But I was making my connection through JFK, and I noticed that there were, there were some people at the gate that I could recognize. You know, sometimes you see someone from somewhere and you're like, I know that person. But I can't remember from where or when. And I noticed that there was a, a husband and wife I recognized, and then there was, the, the, there was another woman. There was a third person that I recognized. And I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on just who they were and how I, I knew them. So boarding the f- flight, I kind of started to think about uh, uh, these individuals, and I settled in with my book and my tablet to watch some, some movies and my jacket, and I, I began to think in my mind closer, wait a minute, I do know these people. Could, could it be them? No, it couldn't be, but maybe. So on the flight, as I was sitting there, I was sitting close to the bathroom, uh, the husband came towards me to use uh, the restroom, and I made eye contact with him, and I knew I was right. It was him. And then a few minutes later, his wife walked back and used the restroom as well. And I thought, it couldn't be. No, it is them. And I was filled with excitement for two hours of my flight because I I recognized and realized how I knew these people. Well, it was actress Rebecca Romaine and her husband, Jerry O'Connell. Now, if you don't know Rebecca Romaine, she was in the X-Men movies, and she was a, a model and an actress, and her husband, Jerry O'Connell, was in the movie Stand By Me as a child actor, and he was in Jerry Maguire. And the third person, I knew who it was on my flight. It was Cynthia Nixon, who ran for governor, uh, and, and the actress as well. And so I couldn't believe it. And anytime I've met celebrities, I gotta, I gotta get a picture with them. So as the flight was ending, I had a plan. I would uh, get my stuff and I would just quickly kind of run down the jetway and kind of catch uh, Rebecca Romaine and her husband, Jerry O'Connell. And my heart was pounding, so we, so we landed and I grabbed my stuff and, and I started running and people must have thought, man, that guy's got a tight connection. Look at him go. You know, so, so here I am and, and I see them and they're, they're ready to exit the terminal security when we land. And I stopped at him. I was like, oh, Mr. O'Connell you know, Miss Romaine, you know, I love your work. Can, can I get a picture, please? And Jerry O'Connell's like, oh, sure, pal, no problem, you know. And so I'm like, hey, sir, could you just hold this camera and get a picture with us? And Rebecca Romaine was like, no, 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 let's not do that. Just take a selfie. So I was like, okay. And so, so I got that picture, and I was all excited, and I meet with my cohort, and I show them all the pictures, and I tell them the cool story, and it's all exciting, right? However, as I went to my room at the retreat center and started to unpack, I realized I was missing something. I was missing my tablet. Where was it? Was it in my bag? Is it under my clothes? Is it in my friend's car? No, I remembered. I left it on the plane. It was sitting right there next to me. And in all the excitement that I was trying to meet a celebrity, I left it behind. All my passwords and documents and personal information and pictures and account information, you name it, it's somewhere out there. 
I mean, I'm thinking someone's like buying a house right now with my social security numbers, right? Or, or I'm, look, I'm monitoring my credit card because I'm thinking someone just bought 10 TVs for the Super Bowl last week. So I was just, I was just in a panic. And it's funny because Abel said to me the other, at the 530 service, well, that's what happens when you go chasing after actresses and models. You know, that's what I mean. <laughs> I was like, Abel, you're right. That does, that's what does happen. But by this time, it's like 9 p.m. At, at night, California time, which means it's midnight, East Coast time. This was a 3 a.m. starting that I woke up. So I've been up for like 21 hours. And I'm exhausted. And I get on the phone, and I'm calling Delta Airlines, and I'm asking for numbers for terminals, and no one's picking up the phone. And I'm calling the LAX lost and found. I'm calling the LAX police and help desk and anyone who was listening. And I was furiously filling out forms online. And I was angry and I was afraid and I was sad and I was worried and nothing. It just seemed like nobody wanted to help me. And here I'm exposed with all my personal information. And of course, it's too late at night for anyone to pick up a phone at the airport. Just hours and hours of failure trying to track down my tablet. And nothing worked. Well, after all that work, I walked into my first meeting with my cohort, and, you know, we're supposed to be doing spiritual stuff, and I'm worried about, like, earthly stuff, and I just felt, like, shame. And one of my friends looked at me as I came in the room, and apparently I was just wearing my feelings on my face because she looked at me and she said, Alan, are, are you okay? You look like a hot mess. And I was. I was exasperated. I was sleep deprived. I, I just, I can't sleep on planes. And I, I was up early and it was late. I felt so foolish for leaving my tablet behind, rushing after celebrities. I just, I just wanted to rewind the whole day. I just wanted a do-over. And I was a hot mess. A hot mess without my tablet. In life, we find ourselves in hot messes all the time. Have you ever heard that phrase, hot mess? You know, it came from the late 19th century that actually meant, you know, a bowl of food that isn't easily identifiable or is very undesirable, but it's in the dictionary. Merriam-Webster defines a hot mess as something in a state of extreme disorder or disarray, a disorganized, disheveled, or self-destructive person. In life, there are those times when we find ourselves in extreme disorder, disarray, disorganized, or even perhaps self-destructive. Case in point from our gospel reading today, Peter is found by Jesus, and he's in a bit of a, of a mess. This is the same Peter who Jesus would call the rock, the rock of the early church. But before Peter was the rock, he was just Simon, the gritty fisherman. And as Jesus is preaching and teaching around the Sea of Galilee, also called the Lake of Gennesaret, he notices Simon and his crew are getting out of their boats and doesn't, sees that they don't catch anything. And so he tells Simon to go out to the deep and cast nets. And almost as a way to humor Jesus, he's like, oh yeah, we've been fishing all night, and then now you just point there, and then we're going to catch a lot of fish. Well, that's exactly what happens, so much so that the boats begin to sink, and they have to call other people to help. I think it's in this story that 
Peter senses that before him is God's messenger, divine representative. And in the face of that, he all of a sudden realizes all of his sin and he goes from having the biggest catch of his life to meeting Jesus to realizing that, that he's just a sinful man. It sounds like Simon's in a real hot mess. In his public admission, he admits in front of everyone, his co-workers, people who, knows, people who know him, maybe some, some bystanders listening, that he is not good enough, he's not worthy, and there's nothing redeemable about him. He admits that his life is in extreme disorder, disarray. It's disorganized and disheveled. He says he's a sinful man. In other words, a hot mess. A number of years ago, I befriended an individual in our community in a church that I, I pastored before this one. And I had known this gentleman uh, for quite some time, and he had a family and a wife, and he was a really great father and husband, and he was active in the community. And one day I just asked him, I said, hey, you know, how come you don't attend church? And he said, I used to until my disabled son was born. People in that church told us that our son was disabled because we had done something wrong. And my heart just sank. He said they didn't want us there. He said, I guess the church is a place where sinless people go. And I found out we weren't holy or good enough. I guess we're too much of a mess. And I felt so, so sorry. And I felt horrible for this man. This interaction led me to think, is that what people think about church or religion or faith or spirituality or God is all about? That only the good ones belong to God's community and that those good ones have really bad theology? That God and God's people only want perfect-looking people living perfect-looking lives? Certainly, Jesus didn't individually approach people in this way. Jesus always accepted people where they were, not where they needed to be. Look how Jesus met people in their complicated and messy life. Jesus in the Gospels is confronted with a woman caught in adultery, and he doesn't reject her. As a matter of fact, he says, you who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And of course, nobody throws any Jesus meets a man in Luke chapter 8 who lives in a cemetery and he's naked and he cuts himself and he's demon-possessed and the community, his community rejects him. But Jesus, he gives him the grace of healing. Jesus meets Zacchaeus, a man who's defrauded his own people and he was hated and he declares that Jesus is coming to his house to eat with him, to share commonality with him. Jesus touches lepers and declares them clean. Jesus allows a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 to wash his feet with her tears at the house of a religious elite. And he doesn't condemn her, but he says she is forgiven. Now these stories do not give us liberty to try to live our life without Christ, but it allows 
us grace for when we do struggle and we find ourselves in a mess. For Simon, the rock of the church, before he's the rock, he senses that he is just a hot mess when God comes near to him. I think we often do that. You know, I talked about flying before, and sometimes when I fly, and, and invariably when two people are sitting next to each other on a plane, they always ask, well, what do you do? What do you do? Well, one of two things happens with me. One, when I tell them I'm a minister, they just stop talking to me. So that's, you know, if I don't feel like talking that day, you know, hopefully I get that person. Or second, I get the type of person who starts confessing to me all the things that they've done wrong in life. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what this is. I, you know, I'm not a priest. Yeah. But I think that when we come close to divine or holy things, we have a tendency to think about the things we've done wrong instead of accepting the grace that God offers us. Like Peter, God starts coming near to us and we say, go away, God, I'm a hot mess, you can't fix this. Christian author and therapist Richard Rico, in his book, The Five Things We Cannot Change and the Happiness We Find by Embracing Them, helps us to see an other side of failure. He writes, error and errancy are not tragedies. They are ingredients of and directions to discovery. They show us paths that humble us, startle us, and point us to a new horizon. They do not have to lead to regret or shame. I like how Rico says that, that our messes in life shape, can shape us, but they don't have to define us. Surprisingly, when Jesus meets Peter, he doesn't condemn him for his sin. He simply says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I think Jesus said this because Jesus knows our human capacity for fear. Because we're naturally afraid of the journey of redemption and healing that lies before us because we don't know where it will take us. Because see, only God knows how God will take your hot mess and transform it, but we, we don't know. We're not in control. And for us, that's a scary thing. This means that we have to be vulnerable with God and others in the community of God who can lead us towards redeeming our messy life. We make mistakes, wrong decisions, and failures but that is not the end for us. The story is told that farmers in certain parts of the world, like India and Africa, where monkeys are a problem because they eat crops and cause all sorts of problems, have to be stopped. So farmers have devised a simple but effective trap to stop monkeys. See, farmers would take a gourd or a box, and they'd put bait or food in it, and they'd close it, and they'd uh, tie it to a tree or stake it to the ground. And then they would cut a small hole in the side of it, just big enough for a monkey to, to get his hand in there. So a monkey would come along and stumble upon the container and smell the food and reach in and grab it and hold on to it. But it, the bait and the food is too large to fit through the hole with the monkey's fist. But what happens is a monkey instinctively panics 
and holds on to the food and won't let go. And they panic so much that they think that their hand is stuck. But they don't know. They just have to let go. And they'll be let go of the trap. I think something similar happens to us like it did Simon Peter. We hold on to the trap of the failures of our mistakes and sin, and we think that we're stuck by them. But actually, by letting go of those things and giving it over to God, we can be released from the messiness of our life. We have a tendency to think that we're not good enough for God or for other people, and so we're, we're trapped. We're trapped by our hot mess. Today, when you came to church today, maybe, maybe you just lost your tablet on an airplane or wondering if you were good enough to even come through the doors, or maybe you argued with your spouse about an ongoing problem, or maybe you're facing addiction, or maybe you're lamenting a friendship that has just ended, or maybe your family is in disarray, or maybe all of the above. And you may be in a hot mess. We worship a God that loves us and gives us grace. Grace upon grace. We do not have to live in failures of our past because our God is a God of a new redemptive future. Being a Christian and being the church doesn't mean we have to try to figure this all out on our own in life before we come to church, before we share a part of the Christian community, but rather we, it means we bring everything, all of us, our failures, our disappointments, our mistakes, our brokenness, and allow God and God's community to help us through adversity. We are not meant to hide our weaknesses. No, we're meant to be vulnerable with our, with our mess, just like Peter was. See, when we were vulnerable with God and God's community, we start the process of God redeeming our hot mess. Today, I want to tell you as I close the secret to the spiritual life. And the secret is this, that you can't mess up your life so bad that God can't put it back together again. You can't mess up your life so bad that God can't put it back together again. It may not be the same, but it'll be different and new and redeemed. We don't have to tell God to go away. Rather, we must, like Peter, must allow Christ to take us out into the deep waters of life and allow God to shape us in the middle of life's failures. When we surrender our fears and failures and embarrassment, God, he redeems all that. God seeks us out in the mess, waiting to offer us love and grace and forgiveness. Today, make the decision to stop being trapped by your messy life and give it over to God and allow God to lead you in a new direction. And when you do, God will welcome you and say this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Let us pray.
God, it's in the midst of life's struggles and challenges that we feel so frayed that we feel like it's the end. But God, often that's a new beginning. God, journey us with us this week. Journey with us. Help, help us in our struggle to think that we have to figure out and we have to do the heavy lifting in the messiness of life. God, help us see that when we're vulnerable with you and with the, your, the community that you give us here in our church, that, God, there are people that can help lead us through you to redeem our messes. God, this week, help us give over to you. Give over to those who can lead us towards redemption in your son's name. Help us to give those things over. God, journey with us. Walk with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.